The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? And thanks for coming back to another episode of the Piercing Wizard Podcast. I just came back from Sydney, Australia. Huge thank you to the entire AUPP organization and all the volunteers, the people working the the door, the front area, uh, the vendor showcase area. Uh, I recorded a couple things with some of the the vendors and the volunteers, but my audio uh, came out really poorly. There was a lot of background noise, so I'm going to leave that off the episode. But let me just say thank you so much to everyone who took time away from their shops and their families uh, to volunteer to put on this event. So thank you so, so much. Um, I really like Sydney. There were uh, cool touristy things to do and uh, a lot of really good food. Um, While I was there, I was working on my latest Patreon video. So in between classes, I would just find a a quiet corner to sit down and and do some laptop work. And I finished a, a really nice video about bridge piercings featuring Lola Slider narrating her methods showing um, a clamp and a clamp-free method for piercing, talking about marking and placement and jewelry and all kinds of really cool stuff. Lola has a great class about bridge piercings, and I thought it would be excellent to take maybe some of that material uh, and make a video uh, available to you at patreon.com slash ryanpba. So that's available now on the Archmage tier, 15 bucks US. Go ahead and check that out. See what you think. Um, As I'm recording this, uh, I'm actually going to be leaving to go see Lola in Glasgow soon, and while I'm there, I'm going to be working on a new video about surface piercings, so stay tuned for that one. Um, In a minute, I'm going to get into uh, an interview I did with Suzanne Hallett, um, one of the lead organizers of the AUPP conference, and we talk all about what it takes to put on the event, different thoughts going into it, the creation of their organization, lots of different things relevant to Australia, and it's just a really impressive community. You'll hear a lot of similarities between uh, maybe some of the Latin piercer communities, the UK piercer community, some of the European piercer communities. It's about bringing people together and sharing ideas, and they really nailed it. So let's go ahead and get into this interview with uh, Suzanne Hallett, and I'll be back a little bit more at the end to talk about the private seminar I did after their conference. All right. Well, hi, I'm Suzanne. Uh, I'm a professional piercer, and I own The Piercing Urge in Melbourne, Australia. And that's kind of a new update for you, yes? It is, yes. I worked there for eight years now, and I very recently bought it. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, exciting. How does it how does it feel um, going from a position where you you work in a shop and it's not not to pat you on the back too hard, but it's it's a shop where it's like people know that name. It, it's it's one of those shops where uh, if you think of a certain country and you think of like you know the top shops or the most recognizable names in, in, within that country, like the piercing urge is going to come up in that conversation with Australia. So how does it feel going from long-time employee to now you are the the head banana well it feels scary definitely it also feels good it feels satisfying to be able to have achieved something like that which is something that i've worked really hard for over all of these years and to now be able to say yeah i bought that shop and now i own it it's kind of awesome 
Yeah, that's yeah. a pretty awesome mm -hmm. career goal, career path. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's also really, uh, it's really great to be able to take on a shop that's been around for so long and be able to just continue it yeah. and help make it even better. Well, you know, terrible segue is um, making the, you know, the industry for all piercers in, in your country better. Also, uh, the, the work you've done with the, the AUPP. And uh, also, I was one of those people where I thought it was like big A, small U, like it was like Australasian professional piercers. I didn't realize that it was, you know, Australasian United professional piercers. So uh, capital A, capital U, capital P, capital P. Yes, that is correct. It's one of our little pet peeves that we have when we see everyone doing it, but everyone does it. And so many people get the name wrong. I hear all kinds of variations of AUPP. Um, and at the end of the day, it's not it's not a massive deal what people call it. Uh, we're just happy that it exists. But yes, it stands for Australasian United Professional Piercers. And the piercing urge the piercing urge uh, my, my studio is precision body arts and people are constantly like oh you work at precision piercing or precision body art right and it's like <laughs> no i work at precision body arts yeah but thank you <laughs> yes it's like that yeah people drop the the all the time they just say piercing urge yeah but i feel like the the piercing that it like it's a, a powerful component of the name it changes the word so i'm like no you've got to say it the piercing urge yeah yeah important so talk to me about AUPP, how did, it, how did it come about? Did it start, like some organizations kind of start as uh, the conference, some start as a, a group of piercers that say like, you know, we want a legal entity so we can make other changes or some of it's like starts with a piercer group or whatever. So how did the AUPP come into existence? So I wasn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't a part of the, when it began. Uh, but from my understanding, it was a part of one of the international uh, meetings at the APP conference and Joel Tron was there with some other people and uh, someone had encouraged him to start an Australasian organization and just said, hey, why don't you have one? Um, and so he and a couple of other people uh, had got together and started it. And then after what we did, what initially happened was there was a meeting that happened in Sydney and everyone who was sort of interested in it becoming a thing just flew into the meeting, all piercers from all over the country, and just to talk about what we actually wanted to happen. Um, and I remember going to that meeting. This was in 2019 or 2018. And so from there, I guess they just sort of made the AUPP and created it and brought it into existence. And then in early 2021, I think it was right at the start of 2021, I was elected to the board of directors. And since then we've been able to have, we've been able to do a lot. So we've created uh, a lot of practitioner education and outreach. We've created a lot of uh, standards within the industry and encouraged a lot of studios to up their standards throughout. We had a three year, tiered membership plan to raise everyone up and then last year we we decided we wanted to do a conference so we did a bit of research and we had some small meetings in five different cities oh we did melbourne sydney brisbane perth and christchurch and we had just anyone come along it was a free meeting 
you're a PSO, you can come and just ask everyone, what do you want from a conference? And everyone basically said, well, we want the APP conference, but we want it in mm. Australia. Yeah. So we were like, okay, I guess that's what we're doing. And that helped us decide where to put it. And so we decided to put it in Sydney because we had the biggest, uh, biggest turnout in Sydney. And it was one of the cities that everyone was like, yep, yeah, we go there. So here we are today, first conference. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of things that I want to unpack from, from that. When you said that you had the, the three-year plan to kind of nudge people towards the, the goal standards. Yeah. Um, so what were, the, what were the phases? In the beginning, it was really simple. It was basically like anyone who wants to be a part of this can be a part of this. The membership was, it was really low. I mean, I think even that you were allowed to have external thread jewelry was on there. It was just sort of like, hey, come and, come and join. And then after year two, we sort of got rid of a couple of things like um, externally threaded jewelry. And we upgraded to one of the big things we did that we haven't really seen any other organization do was upgrading uh, gloves from no latex. So, you know, using nitro. And then in year three, we went up to sterile gloves, non-latex as well. And then there's been a couple of other just small sort of environmental changes over that time, but it just got a little bit more each year. I, I know that the UK APP had a lot of success with their membership drive too in the, mm. in the same way. They, I think they had a five-year plan um, where it was basically like, look, we know what is the reality of, of the industry in this market. Uh, a lot of people, cannulas, external thread, you know, things like that. Um, and kind of saying, but, but these are the goals that we want to get to. We want to get everybody on the same page for like internal thread, threadless jewelry, things like that. Um, there are very few organizations that I know of that include sterile gloves in it. And I, I would say that that's a really cool goal to move towards. Um, getting rid of latex gloves is also, that's something that I really like to talk about in a lot of my classes because I have a latex sensitivity and it's just over time, if you don't know what a latex sensitivity is, it's like, hey, if you have lobster hands at the end of the day, you might not, you know, you, you, should, you might not want to be wearing latex. Maybe latex is not the best for you. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, and a lot of our clients too, like a, a lot of your clients might leave feeling like extra itchy or like, mm -hmm. why is your throat feeling like extra scratchy? And it's because yeah. they didn't know they had a latex allergy. Yeah. So yeah, let's go ahead and get those gone. Yeah. Did you have, and, and you, don't, you know, you don't need to give specifics, but did you have any like pushback against those standards changing or was it pretty welcomed? Yeah, the reason I, I bring up the gloves is because that was, that was the biggest pushback that we had was a lot of piercers who would say, you know, oh, well, we've never had problems with latex gloves. So why would we change from latex gloves? Or the APP doesn't say that we have to use sterile gloves. So why should we do it for the AUPP? And we actually made an entire periodical. I don't know if everyone knows what that is, but the periodical is just a publication that we made where we researched and we deep dived on a subject all about gloves and so that we could distribute information about why it was important to make these changes in the studio. And I think that helped a lot of people to give them that information and talk about why we should switch from latex to nitrile or some other alternative and then also why sterile gloves is a better idea and we decided as well that we wanted to include sterile gloves because it was something that we'd heard that maybe the APP would have maybe liked to have introduced but they couldn't because they were too big and they would have had too much pushback so we thought let's just do it from the start and then we won't have any issues with that in the future but yeah there has definitely been some pushback against it but for the most part I think everyone eventually got on board. 
Yeah, the one of the one of the weakest arguments um, that I hear when people push back against standards is, but we've always done it this way. Yeah, and it's like, well, yes, but like there was also a point where people weren't wearing gloves at all. There were people where. You know, there there were points where people were reusing needles, and it's like yeah. you, you have to kind of nudge those those incremental changes along the way. Otherwise, like nothing really grows, nothing gets better. You become stagnant. Um, the APP. I, I know that there are lots of members who would like uh, the sterile gloves to be a, a minimum standard, but like you said, it's a it's a huge organization and it's an international organization. It's not really viable to kind of push certain standards on a on a global scale. But that's really what the APP tries to encourage now is like, well, if you want to have different standards, if you want to have higher standards or, or region specific standards, make a, a region specific organization because it can work for you. It's it's unrealistic to say that you know people piercing in Brazil should pierce the exact same way to people piercing in Australia to people piercing in Norway it's like everybody's right. going to have their different markets and, and what's possible for them yeah absolutely that's absolutely right and it's worked for us it has it's been good and I think one thing that's been really great about the gloves is that it's allowed people to make just better changes within their studios and within the industry as a whole. So for example, in my studio, we weren't using sterile gloves. We were using latex gloves and we upgraded to nitrile and we've upgraded to sterile gloves. And I think that process has allowed us all to just be a little bit better and think a bit more about that aseptic technique that when we're doing piercings so that we can make sure that it's cleaner and there's more thought put into it. So when people think like, oh, maybe, you know, oh, I don't want to upgrade, you know, I've always done it this way, it's never mattered. It makes so many other small changes that you maybe don't even realize that are actually better in the end. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I'm a big fan of the whole uh, never stop learning, never stop growing cliche. Mm, same. And you have to be open to new things. Um, there were points in my career where I was doing all kinds of stuff where if I would look back on it now, I'd be like, oh man, I, I can't believe I was doing that for so long. And those, those little nudges that I got from organizations, from conferences, from peers, where it was like, well, have you thought about making this change? Have you thought about making this change? I remember lots of points where I was like, yeah, but I, you know, my clients aren't dying right now. It's like, it's good enough. But at a certain point, you don't want good enough. You want better. Uh, and it, it helps to grow into that thing. And it, it's great to have an, an organization that can kind of uh, foster that in a realistic way that can actually make that change happen. Yes, I agree. I, I've always wanted to do anything I can to become better or explore things, new things, learn new things, make changes because it's important to continue to do that because otherwise you just get stuck yeah. and that's, that's no fun. Uh, the periodicals are really cool too, mm. like the whole deep dive aspect of it. Is that like a group of people who are doing input? Is it kind of like the brainchild of like one or two specific members? Is it like a group effort putting those together? It is a group effort. We all sit down, we all write articles. We have them peer reviewed. We've asked loads of different pieces to look at them, read them. We fully research everything as much as we can. We've got references, it's all in there. Uh, but yeah, it's a whole bunch of us and it takes a whole lot of work. Yeah, well, you can you can tell like seeing seeing the physical versions that you have out on display. Um, it, it's not like 
some some periodicals are, are made for like you know it's quick quick digestible a couple hundred words a page or something but you're, you've got like books you've got like yeah. material that can really like help a lot of piercers um, is that something that's only available to your membership is that something that's publicly available online it's publicly available to everyone anyone can download it from the website it's just safepiercing.org.au you just click on the periodical tab and they're right there you can download the pdfs how many of them are there at this point? I, I saw at least like four or five out on the table and there were material and autoclaves, gloves, like it's, and it's deep dive. It's like page after page of like peer reviewed scientific information, not opinion, not like shaming someone into like, just, just do it the way I no. do it and trust me. Yep. It's like, this is the evidence of it. This is something that's backed up by science and it's really impressive documents. Yeah, we've really tried to make sure that it's neutral and that's not opinion based and that we research all angles so that it is mostly factual information. Um, it's, it's real piercer nerd shit, basically. Yeah, but that's cool though. Like, <laughs> it like is that's cool. The, that's the thing is like, um, like piercers can be kind of w one foot in, they can dip a toe in, but I think like once they really like see it as their career and not as their job, I think it, it's really commonplace where you, you want to go down that deep dive hole and you want to soak up all the information you can. So to have something that's that well thought out and that well researched just presented to, to a piercer is like such a different thing from what you had 10 years ago or 20 years ago, like you would have to scrounge. I remember having to buy like Grey's Anatomy and flip through and try to find the one or two pages that might be applicable to a body piercer. Um, and now like the access of information that a, that a learning, like a newer piercer or even an experienced piercer has access to, uh, and it's put right in front of them. You don't have to go like searching and try to find like a couple sentences or a couple of lines here and there online. It's like, it's, it's a, a huge amount of volume um, that's put right in front of you and it's fantastic. Yeah, that's true. There is a lot of good information out there and it makes it a lot easier for piercers, newer and older piercers, to access it so that they can learn more. And I think it's fantastic. Any um, any plans for future like projects that you can share or is it too early to kind of talk about it? I think at the moment we are just focusing on these, focusing on these conferences. We, we did have another periodical that we were doing, but it just, it just fell by the wayside with conference stuff. Oh, so sure. uh, yeah. we were, we, we have not finished that, but we may at some point revisit that one. But aside from that, it's really, it's just this, it's getting the, building the community, getting the education out here. Everyone's loving it. So it's, that's what we're doing. So when it comes to the conference and the planning, I'm sure it was like a, a beast of work. Um, were, were there any things that like you learned maybe the hard way that you would maybe want to share to other piercers listening? So if, if they might potentially make a, an event in the future, like, oh, you know, we never thought that this would have been such an issue or that would have been such an issue. Is there anything you feel like you'd want to give as advice to, to future organizations? I think, I think it's really, it was really difficult to know what we needed to do because we we've never done this before. So we had really, we had no idea what we were doing and we've just picked up little things along the way. And now that we've done it, we will be able to have a bit more organization in the future with what we do. But I think setting deadlines is a really good idea just for each stage of what needs to be done and keeping all of the information in one place is also a really helpful thing. 
documentation is something that I would I would really want to put in people's minds because I, I I've seen lots of different conferences and some of the ones that kind of have to stumble their way through the learning process it's because one person was a central element but they weren't putting down in a, in a in a file somewhere mm -hmm. or putting down on paper exactly what they were working on or how they got it to the finish line or something and then if that person kind of phases out of a of a board and the next person comes in and then they have to start from scratch again and they're like well now I have to learn this whole process instead of someone being able to share a document or share information that way. So uh, it, it seems like you all have a, quite a bit of organization. Like if I didn't know that this was your first conference, I would think that you've been doing this for, for years because it's, it seems really well thought out. Yeah, we, we do have a pretty good system. We've gotten to a point where we can have everything, all the information centralized. So it's easy for everyone to access and that's been an important thing that we have developed so that we can do that and it doesn't matter if someone's not available or anything like that we can access all of it at once um, and i also i like organization and organizing things so <laughs> i think that's worked out to our advantage with this event i, I think it helps when you have a group of nerds uh, yeah. rather than just like <laughs> a group of rock stars because rock stars want to make the event about them nerds just want to make it really good because yeah. like they kind of like I, I don't know if I'm just gonna kind of like put words in your mouth but like you know if you've seen other events and you kind of had the thought process of like well I would prefer it if, if this was available or I would like to see this change or I would like to see something like you can make that event that you would want to go to and it's not really just about like making you look good it's about like creating a good event for the attendees and it really feels like that's what what this event is because it just seems very attendee friendly. Yeah, and that's a really important thing with something like this and with the AUPP in general is that it's not about us, it's about the industry. And we're constantly talking about that amongst ourselves that this we're doing this for everyone else. So yeah, it's really important that we, that we do that. Uh, well, I, I certainly appreciated the invitation to, to come and teach. I've never been to Australia before, and it was always a, a big goal of mine to, to come here. And so thank you, uh, number one, for the You're invite. Welcome. Thanks for coming. <laughs> it's, I know it's a long way. Uh, 25 hours. Yeah, yes. just uh, a, yeah, just, yep, you know, I know. <laughs> just a mere, a mere 25 hours uh, on, on airplanes. Um, you had myself, you had Luis Garcia, you had Brian Skelly. Um, what, was, what was the thought process for bringing in uh, international in, in instructors? Was it something where you had like a, a wish list? Was it something where it was like a, attendee request driven? Like how did, how did you pick your instructors? Like the, the homegrown talent, the international talent, like how did you pick some of your instructors? Well, we had originally thought, you know, we'll just get a bunch of teachers over here. There were a few people that had sort of expressed interest and said like, hey, I'd love to come and teach in Australia. And so we thought, yeah, cool. So we can get a bunch of people out here. And then someone actually said in one of our open forum meetings that we had prior to the conference that it would be really good to see some Australasian teachers teaching. And we thought, absolutely, of course. So we decided that we were going to put a lot of sort of focus on which, you know, some Australian, Australian and New Zealand teachers to come and teach at the conference and give them the opportunity to do that. And what we did was we just surveyed Pierce's and said, what kind of classes do you want to see? And then the classes that were more popular, we just found people who we thought would be good 
at teaching those classes. And we'd asked a few people a few different things and we said, hey, we want this, we want this, people want this. And eventually it all fell into place of people who said, yep, I will do that, cool. And it's worked out perfectly. Do you see yourself doing more instruction in the future? Do you feel like that's a role that you would want to step into or do you feel like you're, you're more comfortable with more the organization side of it? I was unsure about it at first, but now I feel like it's something that I feel like I want to conquer that. I want to get better at that. I'm like, yeah, I could do that. That would be cool. Yeah. But I might regret saying that later in a few years time. Who knows? <laughs> I, I think a lot of people, um, they, they like the idea of it, but then once you get into the whole, like, now I have to write a class that mm -hmm. I can deliver well in an hour, hour and a half or something like that. Like sometimes that can be a, a a tough wall to like run into like there have been plenty of times where I've been requested to teach a certain class that's not something I already have pre-written or when I want to write a new concept and in my mind I kind of know what I want to talk about but being able to like put together a class where I can convey and I can articulate those ideas sometimes that part is tough yeah and writing a class takes a lot of effort but I find that I learn a lot by teaching and doing something where I have to sit down and put information together and think about, well, how is it that I actually do that thing? It makes me understand it better, which in turn makes me learn more. And I really enjoy that aspect of it. Um, do you see maybe the conference having more of, of like a vendor space? Like you have like a nice like showcase space but it's not really focused on like selling and moving items. It's more just kind of like showing what's like available out there in the world. Do you think like, do you have any sort of wish list kind of goals for like future conferences? Yeah, we definitely want to have a proper expo. This year we didn't expect the conference to be as massive as it was. We've had twice as many attendees. We had 126. We only expected about 50 to 75. So this year we only planned to have just a small showcase for our sponsors. And as it grew and grew, more people were saying, is there gonna be an expo? Is there gonna be an expo? And then the vendors were saying, hey, we wanna have an expo. And we were like, oh, we didn't really plan for it this year, but next year, you know, maybe we'll do that next year. So, you know, we really do hope to be able to have a proper expo for everyone. When you talk about the, um, the kind of ex explosion of, of registrants, is, is it correct that like you had a number a week or two ago and then it just kind of like exploded like the week before conference you had like a registration explosion? We definitely had an explosion in the last sort of two weeks prior to the conference. But over time it just built up. So initially there wasn't a whole lot of registration. It just sort of trickled in. And then as it got closer and closer, it just kept going up and up and up and up. And we thought, oh, you know, we're going to hit 80, we're going to hit 100. And then it went, in the last two weeks, it just went way over 100. It was insane, but it's also amazing. That's great. I, I don't, you know, I obviously, I don't live here. I haven't been here before. I didn't really have, like, a good sense of the overall Australian, Australasian community of piercers. And it just, it seemed like a really impressive turnout to me. So for your your outreach however you were kind of getting the word out whether it was website or social media or periodicals or, or whatever it seems like you all did a really great job of pulling in that community and, and getting everybody all together in one space yeah it's really hard to have community here in australia because we're all so far apart yeah and 
we with part of the goal of the five meetings that we had before the conference was to begin to create a community and create an interest and bring some people together and i think i underestimated how successful that would be because it seems to have done a really good job of creating these smaller communities and connecting people together and getting them really interested in spending time and together and to come to a conference that's actually if i was to go back on that advice that i would give to other organizations i think that was a really valuable thing that we did and if anyone was wanting to do something like that just small free meetings in other big cities i think it's really worth it yeah yeah that's that's how i I know that the uk app started in a really similar way i remember being at bmxnet and seeing uh, Nikki Holmes talking with Bethra Sumsky, and then Bethra was just like, just have a meeting, just get people together and get people talking. And then a whole organization grew out of like a simple, like let's meet up and have coffee and just be piercers together and not really like an agenda or a plan, but just like fellowship and just like a social space. Yeah. And then that kind of grew into what it grew into. So I don't want people to like minimize how important of a contribution that is, is just pulling some people together and getting them to, to share a space and, and spend some time together because I think that sometimes you have that that layer of the internet where you might keep tabs of people, you might be like Facebook friends with people or follow people on social media, but you might have never talked to them or like actually interacted with them in a, in a, in a physical space. So just getting people together in a room and realizing like, you know, we're not enemies, we're not going to be like shit talking each other, like we're we're piercers and we're just kind of hanging out and we're kind of sharing a a communal space and seeing what grows out of that like that's that's always really cool to see yeah it is really cool to see uh when did you start working today because like the conference started at at 10 o'clock for attendees but like you know how early in a day do you have to start working to to make that day happen for the attendees well today was a lot easier than yesterday because today I started working at about 8.30. So that was pretty easy compared to yesterday, which was the first day. Uh, the night before we were up until two o'clock in the morning. I saw the, the picture you posted where yeah. you were like putting together like welcome packages and everything. Yeah, the welcome packages took hours and hours and hours. That day, that Sunday, uh, I think we probably spent about 15, 16 hours all day just working on setting up. And then, so we finished that up at two o'clock and then we were up the next day at 6 a.m. just to get everything ready for the conference for the first day. And so last night was the first night I was able to get a bit of sleep in the last few weeks once it was finally all done and I could take a breath. So today it wasn't so bad. We started at 8.30 and then the conference, conference actually opened at nine. So it was pretty easy. So a mere 12 hour work day for you. Oh yeah. 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 I think sometimes when people come to conferences, um, as an attendee, you walk in and everything is perfect and everything is ready, but you don't really see the behind the scenes as much. And I also like to to point out that it's like, uh, it's volunteer work. Like, yes, you're paying people at the, the venue space, but like they're... Uh, they're setting up like tables. They're setting up chairs. They're not setting up the conference. Like it's yes. volunteers who are setting up the conference, and it's just a, it's a small army of piercers who took time off from their shop, time off from their income, time away from their families to show up and, and be selfless and, and put in volunteer work for the, for their communities. And I always like to make sure that that is said out loud at some point. Yes, it's one hundred percent volunteer work. That's and it's just a bunch of people who just want to do the thing. 
they just want to get together they just want to make it happen and they want everyone to enjoy it and that is you're right it's important to acknowledge that it's totally volunteer yeah mm -hmm. in, in like in las vegas with it being kind of a like a larger beast sometimes people might think that it's like this detachment like oh yeah you just pay somebody to do all this work but it's like no no, no it's the same thing on a larger scale like you're paying people to like move the chairs in yes. or like mm -hmm. set up like wires and cords and stuff like that but like everything that makes the conference happen from choosing instructors selecting classes doing like vendor and, and showcase organization and putting together finding even a just venue. a schedule yeah finding the venue like yeah. how, did, how did you find that venue because it's a pretty cool venue it is pretty cool we had just none of us even live in sydney so we just went and we looked up a bunch of different conference places and we looked for something that would maybe fit our budget and we took we picked a few different options and then uh joel tron does have a shop here so when he was over here he just went and looked at a few and just figured out which was going to be the most suitable for us with the setup and also with the amount of people that was their maximum that we sort of thought would be a safe zone for how many people we would be able to get. And uh, yeah, we chose this venue and it's actually been fantastic, a really fantastic venue, great setup, and they've been the most amazing people to work with. Super, super helpful. We're very happy with that choice. Yeah, there are, there are little things that I can see and pick out as someone who's been to a, a bunch of different conferences and a bunch of different venues in a bunch of different countries and I'm, I'm sure there were difficulties i'm sure there were things that you found challenging but like what i see as an a, as an attendee as an instructor is you're not like fighting with someone from the venue you're not ripping your hair out being like i wish people would just show up and do the thing and plug the thing in and it's like we don't have the things we need it's like from from my side of it uh, it's been a great conference to instruct at. The the tech stuff that you have is fantastic. Yeah, the tech um, setup's really cool. Those screens, the screens on the side because it's like the the the, the classroom space is very long. It's very yeah. it's a very deep space, and if it was just the screen at the front, people in the middle, people at the back, they they wouldn't have a good view. But you have those screens on the side, which I think makes a world difference. They had something really similar in Poland, and I thought it was a great attendee experience for people. Um, as an instructor, everything has been really flawless for me. I haven't had to fight with anyone over having like, where's the one mystery cable that we need or whatever. It's just like, it's ready. The stand is there. You plug it and you're, you're good to go. And it's like, it, um, it's been really smooth and seamless. And I, I'm sure it hasn't felt like that to you as the organizer. No, not so much. I'm but. <laughs> sure there have been things that felt like it's on fire. Yeah. Uh, but as, as my perspective of it as an attendee, as an instructor, I think you're all doing such a fantastic job. That's that's good to hear thank you we appreciate that we appreciate hearing that kind of feedback especially because it's our first time and we really went into this just thinking we really have no idea what the fuck we're doing so can i say fuck yeah you can say fuck all you want <laughs> we really we you can have... say fuck you're australian you're allowed to say cunt too. oh i can say cunt on the podcast that's fantastic <laughs> yeah we we really just had no fucking idea what we were doing yeah. and to have people especially people who've taught at other conferences say wow this has actually turned out pretty damn good is it's it's great to hear it's like wow cool all of our hard work feels like it's it's paying off really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you can see it in the other attendees. Like, people have smiles on their faces. People look like they have light bulbs going off over their heads. They look like they're being energized by the information. Nobody is, like, staring at their phones and just, like, waiting for the minute where they can leave. Like, people are engaged. People are showing up to the classes. They're not falling asleep in the middle of them. Like... Uh, it, it seems like it's a really great conference for, for everybody. Yeah, and I think that's also 
just the fact that you can see how much the Australasian industry has been crying out for something like this for so long, just to see how excited people are about being here and how interested they are in everything at the event and just how happy they are to be a part of a community as well. Yeah. I like the I like the showcase aspect of it because sometimes when it's it's like a, an actual vendor space with people buying, some people kind of um, they fixate on that so much that they're kind of maybe missing the the educational opportunity because they're all trying to fight over jewelry. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like the mentality of like we're going to showcase and show you what's available. You can order it like any studio could order something, but like you know these are the things that are available. Um, how difficult is it to get? the stuff that's not manufactured in Australia, how difficult is it to get it into Australia? Like American made jewelry or, or other products from around the world, like it, do you have really expensive import taxes? I would imagine shipping would be kind of a pain. I mean, if you're ordering from a company that sends it via courier, like FedEx or UPS, the shipping time isn't long. It only takes a few days or maybe a week. So it's not too difficult in that aspect. We do have, taxes we have a 10 percent import 10 uh, percent gst tax that we pay on import so any orders that come in over a thousand dollars you pay 10 percent in order for the customs to let you have the jewelry but then that offsets the tax that you pay to the government anyway so it's not super difficult but the exchange rate between here and the us can be pretty up and down and it's been pretty not very good over the last oh, few years. Oh, it's been years. great for me. So. As an American tourist, it has been great for me. <laughs> yeah, I bet you're absolutely loving it. Absolutely loving it because like every time I go somewhere and it's like, oh, it's X dollars and it's like, yeah, Australian dollars, <laughs> uh, US dollars. Like I, this is this is one of the, the most affordable work trips I've ever done. <laughs> that's other so than the funny. flight. Yeah. That's other than the flight. Yeah. <laughs> that's very that's that's funny. Yeah, it is a bit like that. It's the opposite for me. So when I go to the US and I see something, I think, oh it's ten dollars. It's not ten dollars. Yeah. In Australian dollars, that's like sixteen dollars. So yeah. yeah. Um, I've been waking up at, at five thirty in the morning because of, of jet lag. Oh jet lag's so, the worst. Yeah. How often do you how often do you travel out of Australia or you know, do you often travel out of Australia? I only ever go um, I only ever go out of Australia when I go to the APP conference. I haven't even been aside from New Zealand that one time that I went. I haven't even been anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, still, you got a great big country here. It, it's pretty good. Yeah, but yeah, I um, it's just. APP conference for me, but I do that every year. I always go to the APP conference. I always make an effort to go there because yeah. I enjoy it so much. And every year I still enjoy it. Well, uh, like I, I would also like to point out to people if they're listening from other countries and especially if they're listening from a country that doesn't have its own piercing organization and you go to the APP conference, they have the international meeting. And I think that that's like a recurring theme that I hear from a lot of people where it's like that meeting has changed lives and careers and sparked a lot of like new thoughts and projects and, and, and all that. So if someone's listening and they're an international piercer, like you gotta go to that meeting. You gotta go to that meeting. You gotta like listen yeah. to what other people around the world are doing. Mm. How long is it until you have to get back to your shop? Is it just like you finish this then the next day you're back at work? Uh, well, after I finish this, I'm going to your Bevel Theory seminar on yeah. Thursday. And then that night, I'm going home. Yeah. And then Friday, I'll be back at work at the shop. That's pretty so, brutal. 
Yeah, it's although Sydney and Melbourne are in the same time zone, so it's pretty easy and it's only an hour flight, so it's not too bad to just pop back on home and then jump back into it. But I can imagine that on Friday morning, I'm going to be not having a very easy time getting up and getting to work. No, Mm -hmm. no. But that's, you know, again, that that goes back to the volunteerism. Like, uh, I think it's, it's always important to talk about what actually goes into this stuff because sometimes you get people that almost get a little bit bitter where it's like, oh yeah, you know, you, you get to jet set and do all this cool stuff. And it's like, no, you don't understand like the Mm -hmm. volume of work that goes into it. No. Um, you don't usually have downtime. It's not like you can take a, a, a vacation after this. It's like, no, I, I've, I've been off of work because I've been volunteering. I have to get back to work and pay my bills. Yes, absolutely. There is a lot of work that goes into us and I haven't been able to do any kind of cool stuff. I haven't even been able to have conversations with friends that I never get to see because of how much work that I've been doing. And when I get back home, because of all the focus I've been putting on this, I'm going to have to shift some focus back onto the shop because the shop is needing a little bit of attention as well. So it's like this crazy balancing act of working at the shop and doing the volunteer work and which one needs attention more and what do I do and trying to do both of them all at once. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I I think you're doing it with grace. Uh, did, did I see online that you're, you're looking to expand and hire and find a new piercer? Yes, I do have a position available at the moment for another piercer just for a couple of days a week, just to cover over a few more days. Uh, we are sort of expanding out a little bit. Yeah, it's it's a bit exciting to be able to add new people. But I'm looking for the right kind of person. I'm kind of in a position where I can look for the right kind of person, which yeah. is good. I like that. Yeah, that that's that's a, 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 a difficult thing for me. Like I'm in a place where it's like we want and need more staff in my shop. Um, but we, we just don't know how to find the right person because yeah. anybody can put out like a help wanted and just like hire the first person that walks to the door. But it's like, will they actually be a benefit to your team, to your staff, to your clientele? And I think when you have a shop that's like a, a well-oiled machine in a way, something that's been really well established, like you don't want to put the wrong person in the mix and throw off the vibe. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's got to be challenging for a really well-established shop. Yeah. And it can be really hard in just within the industry and how it is in Australia because good experienced piercers are few and far between. Mm -hmm. So it's either finding someone who is really well established and really experienced and being able to take them on, which we don't have a lot of those, or it's finding piercers who maybe don't have a whole lot of experience and then training them up and people who just have the drive and interest to learn and do better, which we do a lot of, uh, but it is a lot of work. So when it comes to a place where, okay, we need someone, it's like, which way do we go? Yeah. It can be really tricky. And one thing I think that people can be hesitant about is when they hear a shop like The Piercing Urge, people think, oh, I, I could never work there. I'm not good enough to work there. And so that aspect as well makes it really hard because people think that they're not good enough, but they very much might be good enough. They just, I need them to try, you know? Mm. Yeah, I see that all the time too. People kind of feel like, well, you know, I'm, I'm just a worm. Like, what can yeah. I do to contribute? <laughs> and it's like, you, you know, you, you really only have like a small set of options if you want to add staff to, to an established shop. You can either 
start somebody from nothing, you know, an apprentice, work their way up, but that is so time and labor intensive. And the, the, the tough thing that not a lot of people talk about is there's still no guarantee that the person will be good at it by the yeah. time they get to the finish line. You could put two years of work into it and then realize like, well, you're an amazing counter person, but you're not a very good piercer. And it's really difficult to, to walk back from, from, from yes, that line. Absolutely. You have the, the piercers where it's like, you know, you have some ability, but you maybe need to be like refined. You need to be polished, you know, finishing school type mentality. I think that that's where a, a lot of businesses are, are trying to find their like hidden gems and kind of polish them up. Um, and then there's like that, the, the rarest tier of it where it's like you're ready to go and you're already like really well experienced because those piercers are usually really well established in another shop. They've got their home shop that they might feel really comfortable in and it might be very difficult to try to like pull them away from that or, or show them a different opportunity that that's appealing to them. So yeah, um, in, in ways I like, I envy you for moving forward and in, in trying to find somebody and then like, you know, hopefully finding that person. But in other ways, like I really don't envy you because uh, I know what that scenario is like and I know how tough yeah, it can be. Absolutely. I do like the finding hidden gems aspect of being able to hire a piercer because it, it is really nice to be able to give people the opportunity to learn and grow in something that they really love. And I think that's because that's what it was like for me. I just sort of went, oh, well, what have I got to lose? And I applied at this shop and they hired me and it was like, wow, now I have so much opportunity. And it's been awesome. I love it because I, I love piercing. <laughs> yeah, so. I don't know why it's such a recurring theme with body piercers where they, they have a complete lack of self-confidence. Uh, like it's, it's, it's like so true. you can kind of go into it and, and like you can see what you're doing with piercing. You can see the piercings healing. You can see the clients being happy and, and coming back. You can see you, you know, having like a, a, a good livelihood. Um, but then you still see piercers all the time that are just like, oh, no, I, I could never. And it's like, yeah, but, yeah. You, but you can. Like you, you yeah. have to you have to kind of go for those opportunities. And um, yeah, absolutely. I don't know why, why that's such a recurring theme. It is. It's it's that artistic perfection i think a lot of the time is fixating on those things that are not quite perfect or i can't do that because i can't do it perfect and amazing but you're doing just fine but it's something that i find i find myself coaching piercers through a lot as someone who has a large team and as someone who helps piercers upskill uh it's you're right a very common theme among piercers oh, I can't do it I can't do it yes you can and then they do and then that's that's what's fantastic is you they try it and they do it and they did it and it's great yeah I think um, a lot of piercers at their at their core are just like sad goth kids yeah they yeah it's true <laughs> we all are <laughs> um, coming to conferences like this too it's it's a really common conversation that that I've had with people where they come up and they're like I wanted to ask you a question um, because like, I think I'm just doing everything terrible. And then they explain what they're doing. And it's like, no, that's exactly what I'm doing too. Like, yes. it, like it sounds like you've got it figured out. You just need to find the confidence in yourself about Absolutely. these things you're doing. I think, uh, people see that a lot too, when they think that things that they aren't doing aren't good enough, or they see pierces who, are more experienced to them or that they might look up to and uh, hearing that those pierces do things that they do. It's, it can feel quite validating. Yeah. You know, like even for me, when I was 
just starting out in piercing and I went to APP conference the first time, the second time and hearing a lot of things in class that I thought, oh, I already do that. And I was like, great, that's awesome. It, it was really validating. It was really good. Yeah, I think that that's always one of my one of my favorite things to see is when people go to a conference and they realize that they're not fucking it all up. Yeah. That it's just like, oh yeah, I, I, I am a good body piercer and like I can believe that I'm a good body piercer. Yeah. yeah. It's, I think it's good too. So unless you have anything else you want to talk about, we can start kind of winding it down and I would like to encourage you to get dinner if you haven't <laughs> eaten recently. Yeah. All I had today was breakfast, so I definitely need some dinner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you have that thousand yard stare mm-hmm. of just like, I just want the day to end. So <laughs> I will mercifully. And my day will not end after I eat dinner. No. How much more do you have to I do I just tonight? have a little bit. I'm just going to limit myself to like half an hour yeah. and then that's it. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go get some food and then just go to sleep. So. Yeah. Um, so where can people find more information about the organization? The AUPP is online. Our website is safepiercing.org.au. And we also have, we also have an Instagram account. It's at safepiercing underscore AU. There is also a Facebook forum for professional piercers. It's called the Australasian Piercers Forum for any piercers who just want to be a part of the Australasian piercing community. All right. Well, uh, thank you again for the invitation to come to your uh, first ever conference. I really appreciate it and happy to be part of it. And, Thanks and, for coming. Well, uh, you know, it's it's just it's it's cool because like I've seen uh, a lot of growth in a short amount of time. Uh, I've been kind of keeping tabs on the organization for a while, and uh, I, I, it's really special to to be able to be part of it. So thanks. Thanks, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. Um, and you know, let's check in again, and you can tell me about uh, where the organization has has grown to. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. Thanks again, Suzanne. That was a fantastic event. I really appreciate the invitation. Um, I also want to say a double thank you to Joltron and the entire crew over at Stoneheart in Sydney. Um, not only did they, uh, they work this event, volunteer, spend a lot of their time in classes doing all that stuff, but then the day after, uh, they were kind enough to let me take over their studio lobby and put on a seminar and a workshop. So thank you so much to the Stoneheart staff and to, to Joeltron. Thank you so much to everyone who signed up and, and came out and attended the workshop. I think we all had a lot of fun. We learned a lot about needles. We uh, had a great banana party. And thank you to Luis Garcia. Luis stopped by uh, to, to hang out with everybody and was kind enough to snap some photos of the, the workshop portion, showing everybody kind of having fun together, pierce some bananas, and g- uh, gave me a great folder of photos that I'll, I'll get online soon. So thank you so much, Luis. If you're interested in any more of my material, you can check out my website at ryanpba.com. While you're there, there's still time to sign up for our Sunday, November 12th webinar. I'll be doing my navel piercing variations class, showing a bunch of handy information for piercing navels without a clamp, forward-facing navels, floating navels, lots of different variations. Lola will be doing her fantastic Size Matters Jewelry Sizing Theory class, and you can get both classes for one webinar. You can also check out our new video at patreon.com slash ryanpba with Lola Slider narrating her bridge methods. It's a really cool video. So go ahead and check that stuff out, and we'll be back with more podcasts soon. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. 
Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.